Yeah, what's my motivation for getting more powerful? Oh, so I can uh, fight tougher stuff and get more powerful. So your numbers get bigger. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I got, I got, I got bigger numbers. I love this. Live from the Mundangerous Underworld in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 282 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about taking inspiration from the video game Hades. But first, the party tries to do no harm in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, Zagreus dies escaping yet lives on in the Character Creation Forge. So this week, Total Party Thrill is brought to you by Kobold Press and Tome of Beast 2, which is now available on the Kobold Press store. The publisher of the original smash hit Tome of Beasts, Kobold Press, has wrangled a new horde of wildly original, often lethal, and highly entertaining 5th edition compatible monsters to challenge new players and veterans alike. So Tome of Beast 2 brings 400 new monsters to 5th edition from Angelic Enforcers Sasquatch and Shriekbats to psychic vampires, zombie dragons, and much more. In addition to the Tome of Beasts hardcover volume and PDFs, you can get monster pawns, virtual tabletop versions, and monster layers with beautiful maps at your favorite VTT platform of choice. So find out more at cobaltpress.com and tell them DSPN sent you. All right, Ishan, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? So the Gates of Morning campaign is our fifth edition D&D game set in Eberron a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in central Karnath, in the austere capital city of Korth, the party is chasing a killer. The mine sea that we've been chasing, Elaine, has built a teleportation circle powered by a huge Sybaris shard in order to gain access to the Tower of the Twelve, where the dragon-marked houses keep their most powerful magic. And now we control it, though we don't control the shard necessary to power it. It's uh, in the mail, literally. Yeah, we just got to, you know, show a fake ID and sign <laughs> for it at the post office. It's not a federal crime or anything. It's, uh, it's not on the books. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so as the party leaves the cavern, the rock face seals itself back up. They trek back through the poison mist to the goblin caves, but as they approach, they hear the sound of wailing. The cave has been converted to a makeshift hospice, and eight of the goblinoids are wrapped in sheets, occasionally coughing up blood. All five of the goblinoids who fought them in the ring, as well as one adult and two cubs who watched the fight from the sidelines. The chief accuses the party of having the, quote, same blood as Elaine. And the goblins had seen its devastating effect before, uh, the first time when they tried to fight off the mine seed. Switch offers a heartfelt apology, and the chief, sensing the party's honorable intentions, or at least Switch's honorable intentions, (laughs) accepts it with resignation. She also does not protest when Switch, now in the form of a bugbear, tries to tend to the injured. Purely performance art. (laughs) Uh, But neither lay on hands, nor lesser restoration, nor even a greater restoration works to cure the malady, even though Switch throws spell after spell at them. 
So the party discusses trying to remove a curse, but they have no one who can cast remove curse right now. A few hours later, one of the cubs dies. Switch sacrifices one of their few diamonds remaining to restore the cub to life. And it seems like he no longer suffers from the Bloodborne Plague. When the other cub dies shortly afterward, Switch revives her too. But now she is out of magic, and the other goblins slip away a few hours later. Now, during the vigil, the chief, Zertold, explains their situation. They're members of the Ketch, a breakaway group of goblinoids who sequestered themselves during the fall of the Takani Empire. Now, groups are spreading out across Corvair to rediscover ancient relics and prove their mettle in battle. The last several years, this group has been enthralled by Elaine. Bramble convinces her to keep them all there, to stay in the caves for now and guard the teleportation circle. It's a tough sell, but when she finds out that there are other mind seeds out there who might value access to the circle, she agrees and says she will send word to the Orion Enclave if anyone comes looking for the teleportation circle. She also presents the party with a fine silver dagger. It is a token which will indicate to other Kesh that they are allied. Then the party returns to House Orion, where they finally level with Bach and Valina. Uh, you may remember those names from months ago. <laughs> uh, and explain everything they know about what happened to them on the day of mourning. Uh, and about the mind seeds that they're pursuing. And the pair promises to keep their mouth shut, uh, mostly out of loyalty to Ephraim. Valina also tells them what she knows about the Tower of the Twelve. It was built 1,500 years ago after the War of the Mark, one of the first joint efforts by the dragon-marked houses. It was supposed to have one floor for each of the houses, but the architect, a crazed member of House Caneth, insisted on building 13 floors, even though there are only 12 known dragon marks. She also reveals that there's a rumor that uh, the architect often consulted the stars for guidance and built an observatory somewhere within the structure. And with Valina now in their confidence, the party prepares to set off for Fairhaven to find Otho, the leader of triage, and his potentially mind-seated assistant, Gersi. And we'll find out what happens next next week. So this week, we are talking about gaming, Hades, Shane. What is Hades besides a great Disney villain? <laughs> so spoilers upcoming uh, for the video game Hades. Uh, it's been out for a few months now, and it was in a long early access period um, prior to when this comes out so i don't think we're ruining it for anybody but just in case uh and ishan i will tell you exactly what hades is okay good. because i know that you have not played it and perhaps some of our listeners haven't either i watched a part of a youtube video where someone was playing it but they wouldn't shut up so i don't actually know that much about the music that's a that's a bummer because the music slaps <laughs> Uh, okay, so Hades is a roguelike, which it means it's like a third-person isometric kind of style game in which you, um, you know, use a combination of like skills and button mashing to uh, avoid attacks and incoming projectiles and dish out your own attacks. So basically, like, you know, 
uh, running through a dungeon, clearing procedurally generated enemies, um, that sort of thing, right? Like the general idea of a roguelike. Uh, this one comes from Supergiant Games, uh, and you play as Zagreus, the son of Hades, who wishes to escape the underworld and join the Olympian gods. Uh, wait, so you're a demigod with an emo backstory fighting your way through room after room of dungeons filled with enemies picking up experience and loot? Uh, there are also uh, bosses. Okay, yeah, so I think I'm grasping why we're talking about this on this podcast. <laughs> Does this sound like a D&D <laughs> game to you? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, at the beginning, you choose one of six artifact weapons. Uh, at the, the the game is broken into um, several uh, layers based on the, the actual layers of the Greek underworld. So uh, you start in the House of Hades, then you go to um, Tartarus, Asphodel, and then eventually the Elysian Fields. Um, you uh fight through these procedurally generated rooms each of them gives you a random reward uh the most notable reward here are called boons they come from the olympian gods um and they modify your abilities give you unique traits uh level up your capabilities right so this is this is your character advancement within a run um and then when you die it's the end of your run and you return back to the house of hades to try again uh, it'll probably take you, you know, 20 to 30 times to finally beat Hades. Um, what makes it interesting from a roguelike perspective is that uh, you actually level up over time, like permanently. Um, you just don't keep your boons, right? Your boons shuffle out, but uh, you can level up your weapons. You can level up um, some base stats for your for Zagreus, um, different things that affect your fighting style and like how you approach the game. So you have some some control over the way that your character is built um, and then you can use different items to like change the odds of getting you know a boon from a certain god or something like that so you have a little bit of control over the direction you build but generally speaking like your power is coming from the olympic gods who are trying to help you escape hades uh, some of them like dionysus is like hey man there's a party up here like why aren't you already here zacharias dude <laughs> and some of them aphrodite are trying to seduce you um, you know, some of them just appreciate sticking the thumb, their thumb in the eye of Hades, <clears throat> Zeus. Um, you know, it's, it, you know, uh, Ares is just happy to see you fighting, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so you start with an artifact. This GM seems like a pushover. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it also levels up. <laughs> uh, so you, when you die, you keep your memories and your personal growth, but you lose your gear. Right? You lose your gear and you lose your boons. Yep. This sounds a lot like Planescape Torment. It's kind of, yeah, that's a that's a good way to do it. Except it's action-oriented, not necessarily right. pure mm -hmm. roleplay. Like, every encounter is going to be a fight, um, more or less. There's not a whole lot of decisions to make. Uh, but yeah, as you move through the underworld, you collect various currencies that you keep when you die um, that you can spend to improve yourself or unlock new abilities. Uh, you can renovate the underworld. There's literally a house contractor who lets you um, change the rooms and encounters that spawn in the underworld, um, you know, give you kind of general advantages as you walk through. Uh, and then, of course, the most interesting part of this, and I think the reason that Hades is so popular, is that you can uh, get nectar and ambrosia, which you can gift to various Olympian uh, and Chthonic gods, uh, underworld gods, 
to curry their favor and get special gifts and other rewards from them, including like companions, uh, backstory information, like advancing your uh, fledgling romantic relationships, all that kind of thing. So it sounds a lot like um, the original Diablo plus D&D downtime actions. Uh, yeah, on hard on hardcore mode and also like hardcore mode only lasts 40 minutes. You either win <laughs> or you die. <laughs> Uh, and the cool thing, so it's like, nothing like five E D and D. Okay, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the cool thing is, like, even if you win, even if you do escape, like, the game has a story reason that you end up back in the house of Hades, so that you continue um, playing more runs. You modify the difficulty, like, you take on new challenges, and in order to get repeat rewards, you can continue leveling up. You get on a giant hamster wheel. If this feels like D and D, just stop me when I get off. Yeah, what's my motivation for getting more powerful? Oh, so I can uh, fight tougher stuff and get more powerful. So your numbers get bigger. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I got, I got I got bigger numbers. I love this. There's a ton of NPCs in here that are like greatly characterized, right? Like you've got like the kind of flirtatious nature of like Megara, who's one of the Furies. Uh, you learn lessons from Achilles. Uh, you get taunted every time you uh, you respawn in the House of Hades by Hypnos, uh, who's often taking a nap. Uh, you know, you can brood over uh, lost love and muses with Orpheus and, uh, you know, meet Eurydice. Uh, you know, you meet the goddess Nyx, you meet the uh, primordial god Chaos. Uh, it's it's cool. It's like everybody's got like a thing. You can meet the uh, um, the underworld riverboat, uh, you know, like the, the ferryman of the underworld, uh, Charon, the major character, does nothing but groan at you or sometimes get mad and fight you. Uh, it's feels like uh the button mashing video game version of lore olympus just is ever is everyone banging everyone uh yes okay <laughs> <laughs> makes perfect sense so it's, it's true to the myth good yeah exactly <laughs> strongly implied also sometimes not just implied all right so why is it that we're talking about hades today uh, so one, it's in the zeitgeist, right? Like this is a, a pretty popular game, especially by indie standards. Um, two, like it's steeped in Greek mythology, like, and it's it's Greek mythology in the way that like it's just deep enough that you learn, but it's also like just obvious enough that you probably already know some of it, like you recognize it, um, and it's easy to research, right? So it's a good basis there. Um, and then, as you alluded to earlier, I think the most important part is. This is a friggin' D&D adventure, right? Like, sure, you die at the end. That's not the typical D&D adventure, but, like, it should run be. through a dungeon, collect some treasure, grow more powerful, defeat a boss, escape, uh, go to another dungeon, <laughs> beat a slightly more powerful boss, uh, die or escape, right? Like, this is the core gameplay loop of Dungeons & Dragons. Um, it also has that dichotomy between like time when you're running around hitting things with a sword as often as possible and times when you're interacting with NPCs and, you know, ne'er the twain shall meet. Yeah, like uh, this has the concept of discrete rooms that can't really be crossed over. Um, and, and I mean, that's basically an like a, a normal D&D dungeon, right? Yeah, we, like, didn't, we didn't open that door because we're not idiots, but that means things can't <laughs> come and get us. Right. <laughs> Um, the other part of this that that feels really fitting is that it scales indefinitely. Like uh, even after you've escaped, like you can go back and like take on harder challenges, um, make the game more difficult to try and escape again. Um, so 
and those reruns are like necessary to keep advancing the storyline, right? Like the the fact that Zagreus is trapped in Hades is sort of the main plot point. You're trying to learn more about that. You're trying to learn about his relationships with his um, bad dad, Hades, and also his, I don't want to say good mom, but you know, okay by a pretty good by Greek God standards, mom. Right. <laughs> I didn't let you die right away. Right. <laughs> It scales to the point where, like, you know, D&D also, uh, like, scales to, like, demigod status. And that's kind of how this feels. I mean, there are books, especially in third edition, that are like, hey, if you'd like to keep playing your same character after you hit level 20, you can do that. Just don't cap the numbers. You want to be a level 61 wizard? No problem. (laughs) Right. (laughs) All right. So if you are going to take inspiration from this game... Uh, and tear your stuff away from your screen and play an actual tabletop RPG, what are some things to think about? So I think I would start by laying out a few options for maps in each of the underworld areas, right? So Tartarus, Asphodel, Elysian Fields, and like the gate slash surface. Um, you know, you you want to probably alter them occasionally, um, like incrementally, I would think, so that it's not always obvious to the players exactly which map you're using as they start but ultimately like you know you want to just move through a dungeon um the the repetition is somewhat the point um but you're going to randomize the rewards in each room uh and map those to what's going on um like in the like the game itself right like inside the video game and then give a clue, because you can always choose which room you go to next in Hades. So give a clue as to what rewards lie ahead. Um, find some way to indicate that to the players, whether it be like, you know, the the gentle clinking, uh, clinking of gold or, you know, like a, a, a melody that's drifting from a faraway place, you know, like kind of give some indicator. They have a little bit of like decision making power over whether to chase like current rewards or long-term rewards yeah just go check out a couple modules from like 1981 and see what the clues are written uh, over archways to figure out what's in the next room <laughs> right and it's greek myth right like that's <laughs> just write it <laughs> ahead there be gold <laughs> so obviously there's a ton of crossover between video games especially like simpler ones like this you know less so like first person shooters uh but you know isometric um games like this and rpgs because you know one sort of birthed the other and then you know back and forth for the last several decades so it's pretty easy to port over things from one to another you know your magic items uh in uh, you know your rpg game are going to become the boons that your character is getting from the olympian gods yeah, and when you find gold as a monster treasure reward, like you, if you get to Charon Shop, you can just buy magic items that way too, just the same way that you would, um, like in a normal D and D game nowadays. But just keep in mind, those magic items disappear upon death. You can't take it with you. Uh, you wake up in the House of Hades just like any other dead soul. The thing that you can keep, though, is experience. Uh, it becomes a reward uh, because it is permanent. It's a permanent power increase. So even if you die, you get to maintain um, all those abilities. But then also remember all of those memories as well, right? That doesn't get reset. You're not refreshing from a save point. You are 
basically like traveling backward to uh, a previous destination and then and then sort of like doing those activities over again but you remember what you did yeah so hades has a concept called darkness um which is like uh that's the currency that you would spend to level up um i'm not quite sure if you would just want to gain experience for each encounter you pass and like let that be a kind of a background thing and then maybe grant like bigger rewards if you beat bosses a second or third time um you know you you kind of want to play with that and then that really comes down to how fast players feel like they should be leveling up and, and really feeling differently there's also the concept of gems right which you would normally be spending at the house contractor there's uh, gems diamonds those kinds of things um you would do the same thing you would spend those with the contractor in order to um change the map rewards right change the distribution of of outcomes in there so you know you can add fountain rooms where you can get uh maybe like a rest right like you might frame the whole whole run is a single rest there's no long rest uh, a long rest is death on your escape so you can only short rest otherwise but maybe a fountain gives you a long rest one th that's one mechanic that i i find interesting that you don't usually get in rpgs is players being able to affect the terrain um so much mm. right like you can spend a resource to seed the battlefield with things that will make your combat easier right. uh it, it's sort of like a it's upgrading the ability to choose what the battlefield is going to be right you can say like all right we're gonna go in this room or this room but in this instance you are you know increasing the chance that you're going to find something good in all of those right rooms. exactly and then later levels you know it would be like pairing rewards right so anytime you find uh xp you also gain gold right or um anytime that you gain uh gold you might also gain gems you right like you could do kind of pairs like that so you get more efficient on your later runs by like kind of investing you kind of like accelerate yourself um that is a nice way to add a more tactical element uh where you know you're sort of like in your downtime space uh you know after you've died or you know whenever you're about to embark on a, a new level and you can have a conversation at the table about what it is that you want to seed and how does that affect you know your equipment selections or um you know the the tactical way that you're going to approach each individual right. room knowing you know having a better idea of what's your what you're going right. to face uh, and then there's also the concept of like, hey, let's just abandon this run right now and go back and spend some XP because we got it, <laughs> you know, or like we got the last gem we were looking for. Like, let's just die here. Go back to Hades, get admonished by dad, of course, like because that's how every uh, every return to the house of Hades is, is. He says, hey, did you succeed yet? Didn't think so. Um but then, you know, go ahead and spend your resources, right? Like lose another run. That's okay. You said a couple of times that, you know, most of Hades is procedurally generated. You know, it's it's random. You don't necessarily know what you're going to come across when you're running through it. Uh, but there are instances where there are fixed encounters. And that's, you know, a pretty common idea for people who have run uh, modules or or particularly for people who have taken inspiration from pre-written modules you always know there's the set piece battle coming right yep like i know at some point there is going to be um the big battle at the cliff overlooking the ocean i don't know exactly when that's going to happen i'm going to drop it in when it is plot appropriate or when you've you know got enough xp to hit level seven or what have you but it's coming 
Right. Yeah, I, I like this idea. Um, you know, you have certain like role play ready encounters, right? Things like uh, Sisyphus, Eurydice, um, Patroclus, right? All appear, give you a, they, they grant you a temporary boon. Um, you know, they can upgrade your weapon or give you some more resources or, um, you know, give you a, a, a chance at a second life, uh, for example. But you can also, yeah, like, you know, you have those mini bosses are a concept, right? So um, you have those, like, those encounters always happen on the same map, right? Like you said, that might be a cliffside battle. Um, it's always going to be a cliffside battle. You will always face Asterius the Minotaur inside an arena, um, right? And you know, when you hear the sounds of a cheering crowd, you must be getting close to that arena. If you continue down this path, like, you're going to face Asteria and the mini boss. Yeah, it's time for a cutscene. Exactly. And, you know, some light banter and questions about why he hangs out with Theseus, who killed him in real life. I don't know why anyone would hang out with Theseus. Theseus is the only character in the game I, I legit hate. <laughs> the, I even game. like Bad Dad Hades more than I like Theseus. I mean, he's he's not even really the, the one who uh, successfully uh, made it through the, the labyrinth. I know. You know what I mean? He, it doesn't count if you have health. Also, there is a funny moment in the game, like when he gets low on health, he calls for, uh, he gets a boon from the Olympic gods too. And like, it's the same kind of like ability that you can call. And like Zagreus is just like, dude, this isn't fair. <laughs> like, and he's like, what, you think you're the only one who has the favor of the gods? I'm Theseus. <laughs> like, Poor Ariadne. <laughs> It does feel like if you are trying to take this game and put it into an RPG, you you can run into the same issue that a lot of people have after playing Planescape Torment and being like, oh my God, I love like the strategy of timing when you die. I love all the characterization and like all the different options, but it is fundamentally a single player game. Mm-hmm. How do you then adapt it to a group of four to six players who all you know kind of want to vie to be the central character well so that's that's the cool thing that i like about the structure of hades right is that you have the downtime which is effectively the time between runs when you're in the house of hades to spend your resources and like talk to npcs right so you advance whatever storyline you like and there every every character should have their reason for wanting to escape um in the same way that like you know, Zagreus wants to escape because he's a rebellious teenager and then actually finds a really compelling motivation that he should escape um, shortly afterwards. Like as a GM, you want to provide the same thing for your players. So you want to really understand who are you? Who are you playing? Like, are you a mortal? Are you a uh, demigod yourself? Right. Like understand the background of this character. Um, and why they want to escape and then play with that, right? Like offer them um, characters from Greek myth who can help them or will hinder them or at least mock them um, and and find ways to push those buttons. Because that's a very Hades thing is, is the sort of interaction of like not everybody's really on your side um, and other people are just kind of compelled to do their jobs, you know, like the Furies. I mean, they enjoy killing you, right? But like, they're not killing you out of malice. They're killing you because their job is to kill people who break the rules. And you're trying to escape. You're breaking the rules. Yeah, there are a lot of fun ways that you can take the idea and adapt it to a larger group. Like, think of all these characters that everyone's familiar with. If Orpheus and Eurydice had a chance to get out of the underworld, of course they would take it. So like, 
maybe two of your PCs are Orpheus and Eurydice teaming up with Zagreus to get the hell out of here. Right, right. Or like you're, you know, um, just two lovers who died young, right? And you want a, a second chance at life. Like, I think that's a completely compelling thing too, especially if one of you died for like a really noble reason, right? Like, um, uh, do we know who, sl who slays Paris? Well, you and I don't know, which means your players might not know. And that means you might be the guy who killed Paris and then died in the process, right? Like you avenged Achilles. That puts your name in legend or would, you know, if it had happened. If anyone remembered, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like what did it cost you, right? Like so like you might have, you know, you could find any type of any Greek, right, could have that kind of thing. You could be like one of the 300 who fought um, fought against Xerxes, Right. Like you, you could easily like find like any, you know, secondary character in, in any kind of Greek story you have. Like you could just play that character um, who has uh, certainly a compelling reason to leave the underworld. Like particularly if you're not in um, if you're not in Elysium, <laughs> like, like the Elysian fields are mostly nice, but even Patroclus isn't so thrilled to be there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's kind of nice you're playing through the game and then you know new player joins or comes back or whatever and <laughs> guess what I, I need a character to play yeah i mean you know the minotaur is pretty upset right now so <laughs> i mean yeah like that also <laughs> that would be fine like you play theseus play Asterion. like <laughs> they're sick of being a fucking tag team they're sick of being a tag team partnership like <laughs> we're out <laughs> Mechanically, a thing you can do here is you're already playing a game where you're running through the same areas over and over again. And while the gameplay is basically dungeon crawl, the motivation for it is character based, right? So normally you're having Zagreus go through and he is trying to accomplish particular tasks or gain certain resources in order to, you know, curry favor with a particular person or whatever. He has goals, right? Mm -hmm. One nice thing you can do here is tie in the goals of whichever other characters the PCs are playing. Right? I mean, nobody has to be Zagreus if you're playing a Hades game. You, you could be just whomever. Yeah. But, you know, even if one person is Zagreus, the other people will have these motivations and you can sprinkle them throughout. Uh, that can be kind of fun. Like, the first run-through is about Zagreus because, you know, Hades is trying to keep his son here. But you notice things that are tied to the backstory of other characters, either in like a, a hint from the other side of a door that you end up not going through or that you go through and then it seems like something was there, but now it's not there anymore and you you got there too late. Um, you see something off in the distance, uh, across a chasm, something you can't get to yet um, or something that you could have gotten to, but that way is close off to you. However, unlike a normal like D&D &D game, you're going to come here again. You're going to get to run through again. Mm -hmm. And now the second time you're going through, the third time you're going through, focus on other people's motivations. Right. Right, And don't have it be, okay, well, Zagreus can get three times as more powerful on our third run through. No, Zagreus is kind of like gotten to the point where he has what he needs, but he needs these other people to fulfill their destinies or um, get the information they need or what have you or find a particular item in order so that, that they can all move ahead. Yeah, the, the other part of this that I like, actually, that you mentioned is like Zagreus escapes, right? Um, and part of the reason that Hades wants to keep him there is because like, you can't escape the underworld. And, and in fact, like only one person has ever done it. And that isn't really acknowledged, right? Persephone leaves the underworld. Right. That's um, my brand. Nobody leaves. That's right. The exactly. Whole thing. Like that's their whole <laughs> deal. Uh, it's my domain. Nobody leaves. Zagreus has shown the path, 
right? Persephone did it on the sly. Zagreus did it as loudly as possible. Like, who are the next four to six people who sign up to say, like, hey, Hades, I'll work for you to get into the house so that I can try and do it myself, right? And, like, that's maybe your starting motivation is, like, you're trying to follow the path of Zagreus. Uh, you're trying to, like, get out. And then when he can't stay out, figure out yourself how he did it. Yeah, that actually might be a good reasoning for a party, right? Zagreus did it by himself, but he's also the child of a, a god, right? Two gods. <laughs> okay, well, there you go. So your characters may not be. You might be less powerful than that, which is why, you know, the fates decree that you need four to six of you doing it all at the same time, working together in tandem in order to accomplish the same task. Right, right. Um, you know, like, I, I don't know. Come, you know, like there, there's right. just so many potential characters, and and yeah, like it's Greek, the fates, right? The fates ordained that this would be possible. There was yet another prophecy foretold. Um, Hades would want to stop that, but also understands that he can't, right? He wants to put every impediment in your path. He wants you to have to keep fighting through his furies and keep fighting through his, um, you know, tortured souls in in Asphodel, but understands that like. He can't actually stop you if the fates have foretold it. He can only try to discourage you from doing it. He can put on a good show. He's, I mean, he has to put on, a good, to show, put on though, a good show. He has to put on a good show. Yeah, he's Hades. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, only the fates in chaos are more powerful than Hades in the underworld, right? Right. I'm either going to beat you, or if you finally win, uh, it's going to be obvious that it was an incredible task, and I'll be like, wow, let me be the first to congratulate you on a great job that's very impressive no one else would be able to do that. Seriously, no one else. Zero chance that Hades says congratulations, <laughs> though. <laughs> um, and then I would I would also just say, like, you know, from that gameplay perspective, right? Like, use monsters. Like, you have D&D monsters, right? And you can look at Theros, too. Like, uh, Mystic Odyssey of Theros. Like, I would absolutely never bother putting this in Theros. But you do have some iconic Greek monsters in Theros, um you can use those would be a good thing to populate your dungeon with but look for monster families i would say that scale right so as you level up and as you are going through and and after you're successful ultimately right like you can start to ratchet up the difficulty and so you go from you know your cr1 orc to your cr3 or 4 orc types right and that's the way so like whenever you're in tartarus you're facing orcs or goblinoids right whenever you're in elysian fields you're facing giants right like and, and you're just facing more difficult giants as you go right this means that players will be better able to predict what they're going up against but it also gives more options tactically speaking when you're playing just one main character in a video game, you're sort of stuck with what you've got. But if you've got four people in a room saying, all right, we're about to do another run and we know exactly, we know we're going to be up against four types of orcs uh, that get progressively more powerful. Maybe let's make some choices about, you know, how we're gearing up or how we're spending the resources that we gained on the last run. Or, hey, we each have an artifact weapon in hand. Maybe we swap. Maybe we switch and each of us tries a different one this run to see if that's more effective yeah and, and i like that like you don't have to use necessarily the weapons from the video game right like zagreus used those maybe you can find them right like, maybe you can find the shield of ages um and that provides you like a big boon on your runs but otherwise like you're choosing from weapons that are much more 
demure, right? You don't get artifacts because you're not Zagreus. Uh, you are four to six schlubs trying to get out of the underworld because the fate said you could. <laughs> but you have the power of friendship, so and I think what, you're going to succeed. What more do you need? Just the power of friendship, <laughs> Nix's guidance, uh, <laughs> a little bit of luck, inspiration from Eurydice. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, a pre-existing relationship with Cerberus. Exactly. <laughs> very, very good dog Cerberus. Um, the other thing that I would suggest, like, because, like, you know, you want to capture the button mashiness of it, but you don't have the same, like, mobility in a battlefield in, a, in like, a, an RPG kind of setting, right? It isn't as real-time. It isn't as reactive. Like, that, that just isn't how RPGs play well. I would really try to set up the traps and environments um, within each like layer uh, to feel unique and also to feel like um, known, right? So you know there is like the button spike trap. You know, you know there is the uh, the wall that shoots at you if you step on this thing. You know that there are rivers of fire flowing through the different safe spaces. So you know when you get knocked back into fire the first time, you're like, oh, that was terrible. Like I'm never letting that happen again. The second time, you're like, okay, I screwed up. Like I knew this, right? Like I knew to avoid the fire lake. Ah, why am I standing in the fire lake? Oh, okay, if the first time you're knocked into fire, you're like, oh, wow, the fire is bad. Like, you should know how to think. Okay, that was on you, yeah. <laughs> okay, but I will say the first time, like, video game story, uh, the first time I got to Asphodel, I didn't even get to the first encounter because I stepped off the platform into the fire and died. <laughs> I was at such low health. <laughs> so I didn't even get to do the first encounter in Asphodel the first time I made it there. Super embarrassing. Uh, remember that, like, your characters here are literally planes hopping, right? Yeah. They're going to different planes of existence. Do the same thing, the same characterization that you would do in, like, a Planescape or Great Wheel game or, you know, a Spelljammer game where you're going to different crystal spheres, right? Each one is different. Each one has um, different abilities, makes certain things easier, certain things harder. Take a look at, you know, the the ambient magical effects of different planes in you know any kind of uh, D book for guidance here it's going to tell you like you know what occurs every single round uh, that your players are going to need to be prepared for how do certain spells interact with the environment of this place right like are our fire spells cast at a higher level do, do they uh do more damage um are like ne does necrotic deal more damage in tartarus mm -hmm. things like that right yep. uh, is healing easier in the elysian fields yeah exactly the attraction here, like Shane, you you talked a little bit before we started recording about like why you like this random button mashing game, uh, and it's because of the characterization of the NPCs, right? It, it isn't a role playing game, but you can get into the role of Zagreus because of the interactions with the NPCs, and I think that's something you need to lean into in an RPG version of this game. Yes, it is going to be a, a typical dungeon crawl, and you're actually going to be going through a lot of the same locations over and over again. So to make sure that that doesn't get dull or boring and to, to make it have the sort of same kind of draw as the video game, lean hard into those NPCs that have individual personalities, individual desires and needs, um, and that, that spar a little bit. Right, like they're they're not all necessarily helpful. Sometimes they're they're here to hurt you. You want them to sort of tweak your players uh, and and the PCs and get them to to interact, to get angry, um, to 
to maybe start a little romance, like something in, in order to keep people uh, pushing through, hoping for the next cutscene. Yeah. And I also think like, unlike the way the video game plays, like it makes sense to sprinkle some information throughout a run about those NPCs. Like maybe they show up um, in places where they didn't in the video game. So you can have a little more like kind of role play interruption um, or like you discover information about them, right? Like there's all types of history that's just trapped in the underworld um, and gods are immortal and souls that are there are there indefinitely. So like what might you learn about Achilles? What might you learn about um, Dusa, who is the uh, Medusa or the sorry, a beholder, actually, um, who cleans the uh, cleans the house. She's the maid. Like, but what might you learn about these characters, right? That like, as you come back and meet them, like you now have information, you now have leverage, you now have like a secret that they might not want revealed or like, you know, information about a se like a secret desire of theirs that you might be able to help with. Right. And so like they're giving you kind of fetch quests, right? Hey, if you're there, find this, like, here's the path, like, here's a clue right if you if you see you know this idol the nearby i lost something bring it back to me right and that helps you like kind of develop those relationships without interrupting the core gameplay mm -hmm. it's like when mega man gets an upgrade from dr light and he also gets a little bit of a spiel <laughs> yeah exactly all right so let's talk a bit about the system used in order to play a hades rpg so D D and you know you're favored DD alternative are the natural fits here um they scale really well they reinforce the core gameplay loop um i think many people would say oh but DD magic invalidates a lot of these things and the answer is you're in the underworld DD magic works the way you want it to <laughs> like spoiler you can't plane shift out of the underworld you're stuck there you know like you can't skip ahead through a through a, uh, a room to just go to the next one you can't tunnel through the walls of a room to get to the next one like you don't have that agency you're in the underworld it's hades rules dude uh and there's precedent here undermountain is a thing and high level adventurers get trapped in undermountain because halaster's a better wizard than you yeah exactly <laughs> and also that's the uh, the real end game is you escape the underworld to find out you were in a simulation created by halaster <laughs> welcome to forgotten realms it's actually worse <laughs> Actually, it was one of my clones. <laughs> but I mean, there's an entire book about Undermountain for 5e D&D &D and, you know, pl pl tons of like um, Undermountain supplements. Take a look and just like scrape the serial numbers off. Yeah. Or, you know, whatever, Pathfinder or uh, uh, 13th Age or whatever you prefer. Yeah. Any high level dungeon crawl, there is an excuse as to why you can't simply teleport in and teleport out. Yeah. Uh, and then, I mean... This is a game about dying a lot. Uh-huh. Even after you're already dead. <laughs> huh. And you get more powerful even after you die? Uh-huh. Interesting. <laughs> you, can you think of any that might might appeal? <laughs> I think this might be a time to pull out our old Phoenix Dawn Command decks. Uh-huh. So Phoenix Dawn Command by Keith Baker was released a few years ago. It is a game about like heroic sacrifice. The art style is very, I would say, Greek. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um the uh the abilities feel like that kind of iconic like um you know archetypal like greek god type um abilities so it it feels pretty natural there like you would probably um each class that that you have in your game you would probably consider like that character favored by a certain olympian 
um, is probably how I would see it. And like as they as they leveled and added cards, um, like they they maybe would keep like a core deck, um, but they can continue adding cards through a run that they would then remove. You know, something like that, where the boons that you were granted by your Olympian god that favored you would be temporary. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you actually die, and and not die in the sense of end your run, but die in sort of like a heroic sacrifice sense, you can level up, right? And it would just be kind of a um, maybe either a group decision that like you sacrifice, you all sacrifice yourselves to like gain XP and now you have one less life, um, but you can do a permanent change to your decks or it might be an individual decision and you could potentially like age out, right? You might either succeed on this run or fail altogether um, might be your kind of end game. I'm, I'm not quite sure how I feel about like limiting it to seven runs might be a little difficult. Or more appropriate for a tabletop game where, you know, you you might not be playing this for 25 sessions. That's a good point. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like you could, you could easily stretch this out to like maybe two to three sessions per level in, in Phoenix, but you're not going past 20 sessions in, in a Phoenix game. It just doesn't really work that way. Uh, one nice thing is that a Phoenix game will be a lot more abstract and that saves you the difficulty of, of the, the like crunchiness and verisimilitude of trying to run this in D and D where, you know, you have a map and you have creatures on that map and you've got to get past all of them, but that doesn't really mesh with the whole like six to eight encounters per day or whatever, when you just sort of have uh, monsters sprinkled uh, across a level, right? right? Like, when do you take a short rest? Uh, can you? Is is that a thing that's even possible? Is is one person going to die over on this side of the room while someone else is, you know, tied up over here? Phoenix just makes that all narrative, right? Yeah, and then you know you could um you in in that sense like you don't need a map for Phoenix, and you literally could just have like the branching decisions of like if you go this way you get gold if you go Mm -hmm. this way you get uh, a boon right add a card or swap a card from your deck or or whatever right um and so like you can literally just say like the doors are marked right like prophecy has foretold what is behind each door which do you choose and and that would be actually kind of truer to the hades experience but again a little too abstract for tnd I mean, that's basically um, the experience of the like, original early roguelike games, uh, which is almost like a hand-drawn map. And you're like, all right, are you going left or are you going right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Pick one of those. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right. Well, when we're referencing early roguelikes, <laughs> I think it's about time we move on, Isha. <laughs> Tell me about your muds. <laughs> um, everyone gets eaten by a Gru. Level up. All right, do you hear that, Ishan? Is that Daedalus hammering in his forge? Uh, It is not. It is me hammering in the character creation forge. Well, it's good because Daedalus failed his son. (laughs) Uh, Before we head to the... Talk about bad dads. (laughs) Also, failed the Minotaur. What a shame. (laughs) Right. Before we go to the character creation forge, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. All right. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we're building, of course, 
Zagreus. Uh, Shane, what does Zagreus do? <laughs> so Zagreus, of course, the son of Hades and Nyx. <laughs> Just kidding. He is a skilled fighter who also casts spells. Uh, he regularly receives boons from Olympians like Artemis, Demeter, Athena. Uh, that's crit chance, crowd control, chill damage, damage resistance from Athena uh, that make him more powerful. So uh, what I've tried to do here is say that like each uh, each ability tracks to some type of boon that he's received from an Olympian. So Eldritch Knight 20. Uh, okay everyone go home yeah well okay i wasn't allowed to do that so here we are <laughs> okay all right so what's the build the build is uh champion fighter three totem barbarian nine tempest cleric six and rogue two all right two levels of rogue we're gonna kick it off with some expertise uh take whatever you want okay Weirdly, we're not taking this for expertise. That's very strange. Yeah, I don't know how to say this, but we're not here for expertise. <laughs> don't understand. <laughs> but I guess, like, you know, Zagreus makes people like him in the underworld quite a bit, uh, despite their best interests in, at heart. So persuasion probably makes sense. You will also get 1d6 sneak attack. Uh, and uh, level 2, you'll get cunning action, which I think closely models the dash ability that Zagreus has. From three levels of Totem Barbarian, you'll get Rage and Unarmored Defense, because, of course, Zagreus never wears armor, because I guess that didn't occur to him. Look, the, the look. okay, so the art director of this game wanted all the characters to be nude because that was the Greek perfect form, right? Like, Greek gods are nude because they're perfection, uh, and they talked her off of that, but instead, everybody is shirtless, <laughs> so... Never I mean, it see. should it should have been a, a Greco-Roman wrestling game, and everyone's just oiled up and naked. This should have been uh, <laughs> this should have been the Olympics, so everyone would be naked. Okay. <laughs> All right, you get Danger Sense, uh, which gives you advantage on deck saves that you can see. Reckless Attack for advantage on uh, your melee attacks, and then of course damage reduction from Bear Totem, uh, which mimics Athena's gift. Then we'll take three levels of champion fighter uh, that will get us a fighting style. I think this one fits really nicely based on what uh, which of the weapons you want to play with. So um, you can take uh, protection uh, for the shield. You can use great weapon fighting for the spear, dueling for the sword, or two weapon fighting if you want to use the fists. Uh, neither of the ranged weapons really fit this build, and uh, I'm okay with that. You got unarmed now. Uh, you can be unarmed, unarmed or, or, hey, they're armed attacks. They're just the, you know, they're the two fists, so <laughs> they don't come in one fist, all right? <laughs> you get second win in action surge and an improved critical, which is Artemis's boon. Uh, then we'll get six levels of Tempest Cleric. This will get us third level spells, which includes some CC spells, which kind of um, mimic like the chill effect of Demeter's casting or uh, Dionysus' festive fog, which uh, is an AoE stun. Um, and then also you'll get Call Lightning, which is literally Zeus's aid. Um, and then at level one, you will get Wrath of the Storm, which as a reaction after getting hit by an adjacent uh, enemy, you can force a deck save versus 2d6 lightning damage. Uh, this is Zeus's revenge ability. Your channel divinity is Destructive Wrath, which can max lightning or thunder damage once per short rest. At level six, you'll be able to do that twice, and a Thunderbolt Strike will let you knock back large creatures within 10 feet when you're dealing lightning damage. So go get you a magic item that does lightning damage, and then you have empowered your attacks with Poseidon. So the Tempest, both Poseidon and Zeus, feels right. 
from Totem Barb 9. You get extra attack. You increase your movement by 10 feet, uh, which is what Hermes does for you, that little messenger, speedy delivery. Uh, you will also get Aspect of the Beast, your choice. They're all flavor. We don't care. Uh, level 7, you'll get Feral Instinct, which lets you act normally when surprised. And then at level 9, you'll get Brutal Critical, which is uh, yet another. Like, all crit effects are Artemis Boons, so here's another one. That's your capstone. I mean, I will say, if there's one Greek god who doesn't like to be naked, it's Artemis. Or at least not naked around other people. Right. So, <laughs> I'm pretty sure she gets called out as a prude by uh, Aphrodite <laughs> for not wanting to hang out with people. Or maybe it's Dionysus. He's like, why is she so antisocial? That makes also, sense. Also, get up here, Zagreus. You're late for the party, man. Artemis is just going to uh, sick her dogs on you. It's a bad way to go. <laughs> that that would be my character in this game. I'm the unfortunate hunter who uh, wandered into the uh, pond where Artemis was bathing. Whoops. Oof. Oof. Yeah. Uh, so are you trying to get back to Artemis to uh, to apologize? Profusely. I didn't have a chance <laughs> when I was being torn limb from limb. But uh, uh, Orpheus and I have that in common, the whole being torn limb from limb. So. Oh, yeah. Unlucky. <laughs> All right. Before we wrap up, I uh, want to take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. You can also leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It is a great way to support the show by helping other people find us. And if you do, we will read it on the air. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We'll be talking about steampunk games. And in the character creation forge? We're building Iron Man, of course. Well, that's it for episode 282 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Hero Forge. Hero Forge offers fully customizable tabletop miniatures with dozens of fantasy races and thousands of parts to choose from. You can get your favorite custom miniatures in a variety of materials, including plastic or metal, Ishan. I like metal. You know, it feels uh, it feels more real, even though it is by definition not real. What could be more real than using their easy-to-use design tool and building the perfect miniature online using fully 3D in-depth character creator right from your web browser? Look, in Q4, they've added freaking bear folk. Uh, there's like dragon heads and wings and horns and tails. And I, of course, am going to put them on bear folk. Uh, they've got furry body types, plant-grade and digigrade legs, and a new piercing system. They've also added epic weapons. I don't know what that means, but it sounds epic. <laughs> I guess you have to go to Hero Forge to find out. <laughs>